0: So I was taking notes while Greg was preaching. I got a couple of questions for him. So Greg, I point. Greg, when you were teaching and you were you were uh, towards the end, you talked about Lord grant us ears to see and eyes to hear. And this is a this is some new teaching. I mean, it's very deep. It's very deep. And uh, and, and I just thought, I just thought if you could unpack the intricacies of that statement and the well, depth of understanding. this oh. is deep, folks. This is deep. It's
1: it's it's a hard thing to understand, Jeremy. But uh, if I really wanted to spend time getting no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I think that you you understand where that came from.
0: <laughs> oh, t- oh, totally. Because I lack of sleep. <laughs> Because I've never said what was the one I said um, the uh, the the magistrate. He was the well, was prostate and prostrate. Prostate, I got confused. Yes. <laughs> yes. He fell prostrate before the Lord. I've said that one. And then it's tetriarch instead of tetrarch. Tetriarch, and I've made up a couple other... My mom will listen to the sermon. See, I'm becoming my mom, Greg. I, I've got a list of some, like, words. <laughs> my mom will send me a... Like, Mom, what do you think of the sermon? That's not a word, Jeremy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Darn it! Oh, okay, okay. I didn't write that one down. That's why okay, I, I messed okay. it up. Any, uh, any questions about this morning's message? Luke 6 to Greg. Yes, Dan yes. Barth, yes. the man needs a Can microphone. Can we get a mic to Dan? Can we get a mic to that man? <clears throat> And the man was there a significance to the when they were going through the grain fields and they were picking the, the heads of the grain off, and then it also said that they rubbed it in their hands
1: yeah that, that, isn't, that that's important because I think that what that's linking to is to what the Pharisees might call work so we don't have it necessarily recorded in Scripture, what the Pharisees, the list of what they called work. But we can assume rightly from this passage that, that Luke's including the rubbing of the grains and the plucking of the heads and the eating um, as things that the Pharisees might have objected to. So there's, I mean, a lot of people in, in, in the commentaries that I've read... We'll go into the whole, you know, what the Mishnah says or, you know, the Talmud says and the, the list of what the Pharisees' objections were. That, that can be helpful, but it's clear in the passage that at least this much um, they would have objected to. So he, I think Luke, what Luke's doing is he's telling us what the disciples did and in light of that, what the Pharisees said as their objection. So um, now was it just the plucking of the head? Was it the rubbing of the grain also? I think that at least it's it's the 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 plucking of the head and the rubbing of the grain and and maybe even the eating. They might have called that um, you know harvesting and winnowing and threshing and and um, there there might even be a precedent for for why they might have thought that way because in in the Old Testament when the manna was given and it fell down from heaven they were required to gather on the sixth day a double batch if you will that would last into the seventh day so that they would not go out and gather on the seventh day that was given by the lord he said that now perhaps they're you know transposing that into this day and age and saying you know what if you do any work of creating uh food on the sabbath then you're or do anything that would be creating food on the sabbath then you're doing work and that's you know specifically um denied or sorry uh is rejected by God um, and his people in this time. So maybe that's what they're, they're, they're doing. And like I said, I didn't want to think that the Pharisees were just kind of, you know, willy nilly with their um, understanding. There, there is an, uh, you know, sort of a, a sense of like, okay, you don't want to mess up what is work on the Sabbath and what does, and what is not work on the Sabbath because the penalty is large. So you, could, you don't want to find out you know, what you did wrong actually was work, and now you have to die. So there is an understanding of like, okay, I could see why they might have, you know, what they call hedged in the, the law this far, because they didn't want to even get close. I mean, we do that, right? Uh, I, I think of times where uh, my brother and I were not supposed to do something, but we wouldn't even like think of or go to the place that we weren't told to to. Or we wouldn't even walk by the place we weren't told to go because we didn't want to get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? There's like a fear of like, okay, we're going to get in trouble if we even go to this place. Let's not even walk by it. Let's not even look at it. You know, and there's some, some wisdom in that. Like if you struggle with, you know, something like pornography, don't take the route home that, that goes by all the adult stores. You know, there's, there's some goodness in that. The problem with the Pharisees is, um, is that they are trying to teach the teacher and they're, they're trying to make, you know, um, what might be comfortable for them? Like, hey, here, here's where we hedge it in. Everyone's got to hedge it in here. That sort of thing. Instead of being um, understanding or, or, or allowing the, the the Lord of the Sabbath to teach you. So, yeah, there, I do think that there's back to your your question. I do think there's some importance that Luke includes what they actually did, and I think the assumption is that that is what the Pharisees might have objected to. Mike. I don't know. Hold on, let's get a mic to you so that uh
0: I think when they're rubbing their hands together like that, they're taking the grain falls chaff. off the yeah.
1: head. Chaff. The chaff, and the chaff falls chaff off falls and, down yeah. and the and the wind blows the chaff away, yeah. and then they have just the grain there. Well, it's, I, it's kind of like thinking. yeah. I I completely agree. You know, the Lord says don't work on the Sabbath. You know, is this you know, um pluck is this plucking sort of harvesting? Is this um you know, um, winnowing and, and, and threshing and, and winnowing, you know, but I think that I, I, I think I, I can understand what you're saying. Like, you know, that, that is a, an attempt to do what, you know, might be done on a larger scale if this was your job. So,
0: yeah. Yes. Linda. Mike here. Okay,
1: so were the Pharisees was part of their, I don't know, job to be, I mean, why were they there to know that this was happening in the first place? Were they monitoring, like, all the green fields in town and that <laughs> kind of thing when they, no, you know, were they traveling with Jesus and the disciples everywhere they went so they could see, okay, whoop, here they did this wrong, because they always seemed to be there looking for him to, or them to do something wrong, but yet... I mean, how do they know that work is being done on the Sabbath if they're not out there looking at everyone to see? It certainly seems at this point that they have a special attention towards Jesus. Now, the text doesn't say, it just says, but some of the Pharisees said, after the description of what the disciples did on a Sabbath, he was going, Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands period, but some of the disciples said. So now whether or not they were in the vicinity of Jesus, I I think they were. I think that to some degree, or or they heard about it, I'm not 100% sure, but I don't know. It's an an interesting
0: point. I I think Luke gives us a trajectory that we can rightly infer what's going on because in the first encounter, they, they show up with the man who's a paralytic, they've come from all these towns, presumably with some interest, some hope, some let's see who this is. So they start, I'd say neutral, before Jesus forgives the man's sin, and, or even hopeful or optimistic, and then they are offended, but they say nothing, and Jesus responds to that. And then then the next encounter, they don't talk to Jesus, but they're stepping up, they talk to his disciples. But they ask a question, they don't bring a charge, not so a question has an implied charge, Why Why do you and your master eat with sinners and tax collectors? But still a question. And then then they go to Jesus himself, still with a question. Again, a question with implied charge. But questions are less direct and less aggressive than an accusation. Why do you and your disciples not do what we and the disciples of John the Baptist do? And so then in the next one, they're actually charging him. No more questions. You're doing what is not lawful. And then in the next encounter, if you look at um, verse 7 of 6, the scribes and Pharisees were watching him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. So the encounter in the field sits between those two. So I would put what's going on there as probably even suggesting they're already beginning to start to look for things. That the very next encounter, they're there solely to trap Jesus. And the one before that is the one where they go out and they charge him. I mean, this one here, they even charge him. So somewhere on that trajectory of escalation is where the first Sabbath controversy happens. So I would suggest more likely they're actually starting to look for things. Um, just in the way that, do you see how that escalation is going? Where they're beginning to or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question, um, Linda. Thank you. Yeah. Other questions?
1: We got Allison in the back. Allison's in the back. She's going to give it to me straight, so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was just wondering if you could unpack the to save a life or to destroy it.
1: Well, the the reality, see, I, yeah, there's some things that you have to just cut out when you're running out of time, but, um, so that's kind of why I quoted the two passages in Isaiah. Essentially, with this, with this, Practice that they've created on the Sabbath to not do good and to do, or, or as opposed to do harm. What they're doing is they're, they're they're saying effectively that we don't really care about you know what's what's going on. We don't care about uh, helping anyone. We don't care about um, doing anything for anyone's uh, need that might help them. All we care about is our rigid um, ad- adherence to what we think is the Sabbath law. And if you extrapolate that out. Um, it can have the, the tone and the effect of not seeking to do good, but rather to do harm and imposing these. And I think that's, there's an idea further of imposing this sort of self-made religion on people is destroying their lives because they're, what they're doing is they're trying to say by, by keeping these laws and by, um, following these rules you're actually putting yourself in a better position with god so it's it's morality based it's it's something that's even deeper than what's happening physically it's spiritual and there and so say, jesus when when he says that is by their little you know world that they've created in judaism uh, or so so-called judaism and keeping the sabbath laws they're communicating that you're actually putting yourself in favor with god it's not about the heart of of what you're doing if you do just do these things then you're putting yourself in a better position with law and and essentially what they're doing is they're destroying lives by by
0: doing that so there is some physical understanding there but i think there's also some spiritual understanding Well, there's also, I think, a a deep irony embedded in the text that at least Jesus and Luke's readers are aware of because Luke tells us the motives of the Pharisees. What are the Pharisees doing in the synagogue on the Sabbath? What what are they there for? Verse 7. They're there to learn? They're there to worship God? What are they there to do? Verse 7 of Luke 6. They're there to to attack and do harm, aren't they? So the rest of the people don't know that, but Jesus, Luke, tells us, not only does Luke tell us what they're thinking, Jesus knows what they're thinking. And so there's an implied, there's another level when he says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, that at least the reader knows. And if the Pharisees weren't totally blinded, they would know, you showed up to do harm today, and I've shown up to do good And it's actually it's it's interesting because the Pharisees are there
1: to you know propagate this this understanding of the law and to keep the Sabbath, and in the end, what ends up happening? They end up breaking the Sabbath law in their own hearts, and they reveal that they're not there to do good; they're there to do harm. Because Jesus does the miracle, he does the good on the Sabbath, which is what God intended the Sabbath to be. And what is their response? What is their reaction? Their reaction isn't oh well clearly we are wrong we're going to fall on our face and, and worship, they're like, nope. They, 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 they had hatred or, or um, fury in their hearts and they discussed what they might do to him. And you talk about breaking the Sabbath, right? <laughs> it's an interesting thing that they're there to propagate this sort of keeping of the Sabbath law, but in the end they're the ones that end up breaking the Sabbath and not seeking to do good, but to do harm and wanting to or plotting to hurt. Um, Jesus, or see what they might do to Jesus. Alex needs a mic over here. So there is that irony there that they're coming to catch Jesus, but Jesus catches them.
2: Yeah. And and just like a quick comment, it's it goes back to like Jesus talking about them making a proselyte and then them becoming twice a child of hell than their teacher, and it's like that's they're destroying people's lives and what they're doing.
1: Yeah. they 're laying burdens upon these people that they themselves can't bear can 't carry and i, I didn 't mention this, but um, there 's also other Sabbath controversies that jesus and the and the and the Pharisees go through where Jesus just condemns them and and, and rebukes them for doing work on the Sabbath themselves when their donkey falls in. They, they do the work to, to, to get their donkey out. They're being hypocrites. They're saying that Jesus is doing work on the Sabbath, but they themselves know the right thing to do. And not only do they know it, they actually do it. Um, but here they are you know, trying to condemn
0: Jesus for what he's doing. <laughs> well, one, uh, one of the other things that Daniel pointed out when we were talking about this last week at the uh, conference, and this really is, you see the kindness and the gentleness of Jesus, and for the Pharisees in Luke's Gospel, this is the, this is the end of it. <laughs> He, he doesn't blast them. He, he interacts with them. The very next time Jesus speaks to the Pharisees in Luke's gospel, he's in a Pharisee's own home and he calls him a fool. I mean, there's no long because we've just seen the Pharisees harden themselves into their stance. They're no longer correctable. They're, they've, they're moving. There's trajectory. As long as they're asking questions, even though they're moving in the wrong direction, there's still hope for them. Once they settle into the, we don't care, if we have to plot and falsely accuse, so be it, he's going down. Once they get there, Jesus is done with any graciousness with them. He will just start to verbally attack them. Head on, no subtlety, no veiledness, it, you, you know they're his adversaries, and he makes war with them with his, just like Zechariah the shepherd comes and he fights with the other shepherds. But up until this point, he's been giving them kindness and mercy and space, and that final statement in verse eleven, which is where the Pharisees leave the book for a couple chapters, so they got introduced in five, and we see their ark. We see them harden into this position. Once they reach that, there are no more any kind words or any patient words to the Pharisees. He'll, in a Pharisee's own home, call the man a fool. And you
1: can see how this type of heart that the Pharisees have eventually leads to the crucifixion of their Messiah. They, they, They don't recognize Him as Messiah. He has come to save his people and they are more comfortable and 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 more inclined to keep their own position in the society and keep their own law and structure and the moment that Jesus starts to infringe on on that they're like we don't care and it's just amazing Jesus heals Lazarus Lazarus rather rather and what do they do? Instead of just being astonished by what the Lord has done, they're like, okay, now we got to kill Lazarus and Jesus. We got to stop this right now. You know what I'm saying? It's like that heart, which can be our hearts too, lest we uh, not recognize it. That heart is one that, you know, if unchecked, can lead to where the Pharisees eventually ended, which is in unbelief and in hostility and hatred towards the one who created everything. Yeah. Bridget. Go ahead. Yeah, I think you're ready.
0: Um, If there was, like, a child in the Old Testament that was sick on the Sabbath, and, like, say the parents had to take care of it somehow, isn't that kind of, like, equivalent to Jesus healing the hand or something like that? Yeah, no, and in other encounters, he'll say to you, which one of you, if your donkey falls in a ditch, will not sweat? He doesn't say that, but I mean, pulling a donkey out of a ditch is going to be work. (laughs) And and of course they would. There are understandings. The basic concept of the Sabbath is you did not do your normal work on the Sabbath. But if you see someone beaten and bloody on the side of the road, you don't say, well, stay right there, and as soon as it's sundown, I'll come and get you. You would pick them, and you'd carry them. And and so there were, in, in the Old Testament, precedents for extraordinary circumstances. Jesus in John 7 will argue, look there is even within the law a hierarchy of laws so this the circumcision law if it if the eighth day is a sabbath which one wins out does the priest work on the sabbath or do you circumcise on the seventh or ninth day and the answer is circumcision takes priority over sabbath i mean that's so that so the the law has that type of flex in it you know um not that what I mean by flex is there's some room for exceptions. Yeah, if your kid falls out of a tree and breaks their arm, you will pick them up and carry them to the nearest doctor, Sabbath or no. And and those types of things are precisely Jesus' point. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm? And that's a good thing. You know, that
1: that's the point of it, is is God has given us, even within the ceremonial law, a a examples, if you will, of when it's the right thing to do to to necessarily do work. You do it, but he gives us those examples and they're, and they're good. You don't just do that flippantly or else you get stoned. So yeah, if your kid's sick, you don't just say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to like tough this out. Um, you help because that's the right thing to do. Right, right.
0: Should the Pharisees have known that when the Messiah was coming, he would complete the law? And should they have like, recognized that to some extent, his authority? Uh, no, ab- absolutely. In fact, Jesus begins his public ministry in Luke's Gospel, very first encounter, almost certainly out of chronological order. Because remember, in, in Luke 4, when he goes to Nazareth, he expects them to say, do the signs and the miracles that we heard you did in Capernaum. The very next account is him in Capernaum. He does one miracle, and everyone shows up with all of their... Sec- so it seems likely to me that the account of Capernaum actually occurs before Nazareth, because otherwise, they would have. If he'd already shown up to Capernaum once and done miracles, they should have been waiting for him. Instead of he cast the demon out of the man in the synagogue, and then at sundown everyone shows up, suggests this is this is inceptive. This is the first thing he does. So Luke positions the Nazareth account first because in it Jesus opens Isaiah sixty-one, reads his mission statement, and says that's me. And so they should absolutely have picked up on that. Go, go a little further ahead to Luke seven. Um, John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus, and um, Jesus will reference Isaiah 61 is his answer. Um, Should we, should we, is it 7? Yes, it is. 19, 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So John's in jail now, he's been arrested. And John is struggling with this because he doesn't have a category for a suffering, dying Messiah. He doesn't have a cat. He's not what he's expecting. The Messiah will come, and the Messiah will smash and judge the nations. He will live out Psalm 2, and the nations will rage, and the Lord will laugh, and they'll be. You know, he will give them a rod of iron, and he will dash them like a potter's vessel, and all the things that will happen when Jesus returns at the second coming, John's to some degree expecting to happen in, in the first coming, and so he's in jail. And so he's struggling, we'll get here, and he sends his disciples to Jesus saying, are you the one or should we wait for another? Um, John the Baptist has sent us saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues. So Jesus doesn't answer their question immediately. They, They ask the question, and in that hour Jesus does these signs. Then look at verse 22. He answered, Go and tell them what you have seen. The blind have received their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor of good news preached to them. That's everything Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 talks about. And um, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So absolutely Jesus opens up his, his mission statement, his, his commission, if you will, and he identifies it as a Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, plus one verse he smuggles in from Isaiah 60 or 58. I, I can go look at my notes, but that, um, to loose the actual setting free, because all of Isaiah 61 is announcement, proclamation, to announce good news, but to accomplish it, to set captives free, um, he grabs from, I think, two chapters earlier in Isaiah. So he's got this pastiche of Isaiah, and then again, that's exactly what he's referencing to here, yes, I'm the Messiah, how do you know, doing the things Isaiah 61 said I'd be doing, and so that's how he introduces himself to the the audience in the book, Um, and then we see in Capernaum those signs and miracles being done. So absolutely, there should have been significance to these things, and even even when he healed the man who was the paralytic, he tells them why he's doing it. I'm doing this so that you will know that I have authority to to forgive sins on earth. And the logic is this. If I'm truly blaspheming, there's no way God will grant me the power and authority to do this. And they get that argument, which is why they jump to, okay, he's doing it by Satan's power. They're not quite there yet. But that's where they'll go. Because... That's how Jesus is arguing. God is vindicating my claims with the power that I'm using to do miracles. And that's the entire point of miracles. Jesus isn't just showing up and saying, you know, it'd be a really nice thing for me to heal people. In the gospel, he, he cites Luke has him cite Isaiah, then he does the signs to prove it. Um, so no, they should have known. He's given them ample evidence and proof. I mean, we were told they were there when he healed the paralytic. They just watched him heal a man with a wizard. I mean, what other conclusion can they come to? This guy's a blasphemer, but God allows him to do this. I mean, But there's times where we don't care, we don't want to believe that, and so we just harden our hearts against the evidence. They had an overwhelming amount of evidence, um, and they just they didn't care. And that's why I really think this is the end of the Pharisees having a chance. This is the end of the Pharisees getting any slack. They settled themselves into furious unbelief, plotting together. And the next time Jesus speaks to them, He blasts them. They're they're done.
1: And that's really the logic of the man born blind. He says this, I'll just read it, in in John chapter 9, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Conclusion? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They get the argument. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast them out, and Jesus comes <laughs> to him. Yeah.
0: So yeah. should they have known? Yeah. They should, they have, known. should have known. They have no excuse. And I think that's part of the reason why Jesus is done. Like you, You've had grace and truth and light, and what you did is you hardened yourself, you hid from it, and okay, you're done. You're done. Um, yes. Yes, Zach?
1: I can't remember if it was in reference to the bread of the presence or like, the Sabbath directly, but... You said like there was a example in scripture where there was grace given, you know, where they didn't follow the laws exactly. Aaron's sons, he was yes. talking about, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but you didn't go to the scripture. Could we look at that? Yeah, so it's directly. in Leviticus uh, ten sixteen through twenty, I believe. Let's turn there. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, "What have white? Sorry, rather, have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is the most, since it is the thing most holy, and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood is not." Brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and the burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? When Moses heard that, he approved. And do you, I mean, you want to speak on that essentially? aaron's sons um, his two other sons, Nadab and Abihu, had offered unauthorized sacrifices or unauthorized fire, and they got they, lit up they got lit up yeah they got burned up so um, under those circumstances, because of that, an exception was given to Aaron um, and I, I, I maybe Daniel or Jeremy can help think through the larger implications but um because of that, an exception was given to Aaron, knowing that yes, it was unlawful for them not to eat the sacrifice. That's clearly what's prescribed in Scripture. But because of the circumstances, it, it's, you know, Moses, the Lord gives Moses an opportunity to, to make an exception. Um, and that's where, yeah. where I gather or, or um,
0: conclude. Yeah. So that the instructions were after the, after the sacrifice is given, the priests are to eat it in the holy place. And that isn't what happened. They, it says here they burned up the rest of it, right? And so Moses is angry. God told you to do something, why didn't you do it? And Aaron basically says, "My my two sons just died, consumed with fire." And are you assuming the argument is, it "I be appropriate for me to celebrate my eating this? right, it wouldn't, yeah, it, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to celebrate this sacrifice on the day my sons were killed?" And Moses, oh, okay, that that makes sense. Okay, fair enough um the one point you want to make clear is it's not a case of well if you mean well and if you uh have good motives it's okay um that's not what's right. going on here it's not situational ethics rather in all these instances the person who has the authority to interpret the law in this case moses signs off david when he goes to the um tent of, at nob and ahimelac doesn't take the bread he asks yeah. high priest who has the right to interpret and render a verdict and he understands their need and he recognizes there's some flexibility he gives them some sort of condition they meet it it's not david just saying hey i got good motives give me the bread and taking it Um, likewise jesus identifying himself as the lord of the sabbath there is someone here to render a verdict there is someone here to because what's what's tough is this i mean think about this this make if i'm living in israel with my family And right after, you know, and I get given the Ten Commandments, and right after the Ten Commandments are given, I see that there's a dude gathering some sticks, and the community picks up stones and throws them at him until he's a bloody pile on the ground, dead. And I go, what was that about? The Lord God said not to work on the Sabbath, and he gathered some sticks. What's going to be your next question to Moses and the priest? Could I please get a very precise definition of work? (laughs) Right? Right? I'd like to know, because once you break the Sabbath, there is no longer like mercy. This whole desiring mercy is not, yes, you deserve the death penalty, but let's be merciful. Rather, let's come to the text with a heart of mercy looking for the flex and the space that's in there. And and the, the Old Testament simply doesn't give the numerous examples that the Pharisees wanted. And so you could either trust the judges or the kings to rule in cases, case by case, or you could do what the Pharisees did, and let's sit down and figure out every possibility ahead of time, and then let's go. Co- so they had how far you could walk on a Sabbath before it was work. They had rules about—these th- are things we gather from their writings. But how much you can carry. How much you can carry. See, if, if it's light enough, if it's light enough that you can carry it under your arm— it's not work, but if you carry it on your shoulder because it's that heavy, then that's work. Which is why in John five, when the man picks up his mat and throws it on his shoulder, ah, work. Who told you to do this? You know, and they had all you could you could move about within your house and your domicile, and, and you, you were saying something was like up. Oh. I was going to say how do you care. Yeah, how you care, and so and there's a sense in which I think you can understand why some of those questions are important. I mean, I'd, I'd want to give my kids some rules on what they could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. Because I didn't. you don't want to find out too late, oops, you couldn't gather sticks, right? Um, so the Pharisees, rather than trusting that God would give the rulers and the leaders the judgment, the wisdom, case by case, to make up their rules, part of Jesus saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, is you have someone like Ahimelech, you have someone like Moses, who can rightly interpret and render a judgment. And I say this is okay.
2: Go ahead, Wendell. I think this side of events, it's easy to, I won't say easy, Um yeah, it's easy to look at the Pharisees as how could, uh, with a, uh, judgmental perspective, yeah, perspective as far as, you know, how foolish could they be. But I think, and I need, when I going to ask a question. When you said that, uh, um, raising a, a paralytic to walk, you know, was, was already meant in the Old Testament, they should have known that. That here's a guy that's doing this and that should have sounded familiar, but, uh, and, and I guess here's the question. I know in Zechariah it talks about the day of the Lord and there is really prophetic and there's other pro- uh, prophetic things all throughout uh, the Old Testament. Is there any place that talks about, uh, like we that we have uh, the advantage of knowing Revelation where it talks about in the last days uh, that, uh, false teachers you know they'll be given and the antichrist be able to do some miracles or signs they, they could have confused to
0: see so even possible
2: the elect yeah you know. yeah but is there any place in the old testament yeah deuteronomy, that speaks, speaks to that Deuter- yeah, okay. deuteronomy okay well in, in that case While okay go ahead well
1: he's turning there i will just first say i i i did i did wrestle with the same thing that that you're wrestling with in the beginning partly i was like Ooh, I kind of feel like I might do what the Pharisees did. You know, like, I I could see myself in moments of my life being zealous about things like that and, and, and being wrong. I think that the example or, or what we should gather from that is to ask questions, to not come at, um, interpreting or, 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 um, Accusing someone with the authority of like we know you're wrong, unless it's wrong. Like I mean, obviously there's there's cases, but where the law and God's word doesn't give specific examples, I would not quickly jump to your law and your conclusion based on what you've read. So,
2: I agree. I, I think, and that, that's I think all through Scripture, that is a lesson we all need to heed: is that in from being judgmental you know, from judging others. And I, 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 you know, I can't help but go back to this week when uh, kind of a common thread uh, through that whole, everybody, all the sermons was, we need to understand who God is and not be so judgmental on what those representatives of God, Christians, uh, we see them do until, and, you know, don't be, like you said, uh, you know, uh, ask questions. But don't be quickly quick to uh, let me give understand
1: you it. let me give you an example, kind of like a, a present day example that I wasn't able to get to because of time. If, if anyone knows me here, you know that I love to hug people, old, young, male, female. I just love people. I love to hug people. Suppose a brother comes up to me and says, Greg, you need to repent. You need to repent because hugging people, if you hug someone of the opposite sex, you're, you've got immoral thoughts in your mind. And I say, whoa, 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 brother, <laughs> slow down. Um, you know, I understand you're supposed to treat older women as, as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity. And in a good conscience, I, 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 I hug out of love, not out of lust. You know what I'm saying? So if I, if I were to say that to a brother and he just continues to say, no, Greg, you need to repent. You know, you need to, you know, that's, that's taking something. Now it's good. It's, it's actually a good thing to, to think down those lines. But he's judging, you know, my motives. He's, he's taking one thing that God has said, which is, if you, even if you look upon a woman with lust, you're committing adultery in your heart. And he's maybe someone who struggles with this. And he says to me, you're lusting. You know, he's applying the, you know, God's law and trying to say that, that you're lusting in this in this instant, I, I, I can, in 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 honesty, just let them know, look, look, brother, I'm sensitive to those things too, but I don't hug out of lust. I hug out of love. I, I, I do. I mean, I hug my sisters. I have sisters. I hug my mom. I'm just doing what I do. You know what I'm saying? I'm not doing anything that's foreign to We've me. We've known you, Greg. We know you're doing what you do. <laughs> um, I'm not, you know, doing something that's foreign to me. So if I, you know, said that, then in, in this situation, the brother should receive, you know, the word and, and search the scriptures and, and, and say, you know what? Uh, Greg's got a point. He's got some freedom there. If he's not lusting, I'm not going to charge him with lust because I don't know his heart. I'm not going to make this some law that I'm going to thrust upon him and, and come like a Pharisee and, and condemn him. Yeah. It's what the Pharisees should have done when they received the objection of Jesus or the response of Jesus. They should have said, you know what, guys, I think we're coming around this all wrong. I mean, uh he's the lord of the sabbath he just told us that we need to like change ourselves and change our you know way of thinking and 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 our you know paradigm instead they they harden themselves to his response and in, and choose rather to hold to their traditions and to hold to their being right and just pursue wholeheartedly you know what they think is is the law so that that would be a modern day example of trying to use god's law or what god says In in one instance and just applying it across the board to someone and charging them with sin saying that they need to repent and as opposed to hearing what the Word of God actually says and being taught okay there is some flexibility there Um, I I can trust that, that you're not doing this in sin and I can love you and we can move on yeah so that's how you prevent yourself from being a Pharisee in one sense is you you're loving you're not seeking to destroy a brother you're seeking to save and, to love and them if running.
0: you and if you do correct, what's your motive? Is it because you care about them and you want to restore them and you want to see them get out of walking in darkness, or are you just satisfied? Gotcha. Okay. You know, um, I found it Deuteronomy thirteen. There's two criterion for judging prophets. Wendell's question about um, about people who can work signs and wonders, or if they do something. Um, there's two tests with which you judge a prophet. One, the predictions they make, the dreams they have if they don't come to pass or a false prophet, you put him to death. The reverse is also considered in Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods that you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because He has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So there... Is they entertained the possibility that someone actually is doing convincing, compelling signs, wonders, whatever. And if they their their testimony disagrees with the scripture, you kill them. And so there's two ways they could get Jesus. Either Jesus could fail in a miracle, which he doesn't do, or Jesus could contradict the text, which is why Jesus is showing them in the story from David that there is some flex here, guys. You know, um, this isn't Work. There isn't a text that says this is work. Um, Because Jesus will recognize that he needs to, in some degree, not some degree, he needs to um, submit to the the law. He's not breaking it. Don't think I've come to abolish the law, he says, but to fulfill it. Um, And so they can rightly... So if they were to come to him and ask him a question, I think it would be very different. Teacher, we're confused. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And if you want to give the Pharisees even the benefit of the doubt, the manna example... I could see someone arguing, because manna comes, and, and they're not to gather it on the Sabbath. So by implication then, even though the text doesn't say this, this is always a principle, always and everywhere, amen. Should we not likewise gather our food on Friday? Your set disciples didn't gather their food on Friday, they're gathering it on the Sabbath. And we're confused. And if they came and asked that, I think there would be a very different response from Jesus. Microphone. Okay, we'll end
2: time, with this. When those I, questions, the last question. Let's do this. And, and I'll uh, we'll continue on this. But my question was in in the Old Testament, as in the New Testament, we have the advantage of knowing that in the last days, okay. uh, that was something
1: that, prophesied in the Old Testament that would have.
2: Well, not something prophesied, not, but specifically. Was there prophecy as to in those last days that it speaks of in the day of the Lord in the Zechariah second
0: Peter one let's go to second
2: Peter one well Please. second Peter, but this this is not no. something
0: they would have had not
2: something to. the Pharisees would have known about what I'm saying is it was was there some something in the Old Testament that the Pharisees would have been aware of of, of their scripture in those days of False prophets in those last days that Zechariah talks about in the day of the Lord, that those, that the Antichrist or those people, the false, false teachers would have been able to do signs in that. If there was, then I could understand a little bit. I'm not giving them, I don't, you know, I'm kind of playing the devil's advocate. I no, no. You know, on the other side, if they knew that there was in those last days, as Zechariah and other old prophets are talking about, uh, that there were going to be Somebody that could do miracles. And when they saw Jesus being miracles, they would have had to uh, delineate between, okay, is this one of the false prophets that, that we had been I told about? What you're saying, okay, yeah. I, I, I didn't say so was. there but, something that would have and m- m- that's, muted that's a, the under. idea that, that so, I don't want to keep everybody at order? The 30 second Please answer, the okay.
0: Deuteronomy, they could have said, ah, this is Deuteronomy 13. The Lord told us someone might come along who could do powerful signs and miracles. Then the other question, this is why they could rightly challenge Jesus on two fronts. Is Jesus telling them not to worship God? Is Jesus telling them to disobey the Scripture? And part of what Greg was pointing out when he asked him the question, is it lawful to do good or do harm, contradicts me. Show me me from the text, and, and repeatedly Jesus will say, if I'm wrong, what am I guilty of? charge me. And they couldn't. They couldn't make any accusation. They had to bring false witnesses. If they could have accused him on the law of Moses and made it stick, they could have absolutely, and they would have been right in saying, this is just Deuteronomy 13.
1: Oh, Alright, I'll close with this, since I know we have to go. When the um, student
0: is fully taught, he'll be like the teacher.
1: Let, let us... Um, yeah, hold on, hold on. Hold um, on. The Pharisees, they're, down, they're in this trajectory. We think that there's no going back. But let us not forget that if we heed the admonition of the Lord, P- Paul was a Pharisee, yeah. a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he turned from his ways and he repented and turned to the Lord. You, you, that's what the point. The point is you may find yourself stuck in this road of, of, of judging and being... Um, hypocritical, but don't be stuck there. Ask for the Lord. The Lord will give grace. And you too, uh, or, you know, and, and in those instances, it's not like, you know, the Pharisees are done with. The Lord has plans and He even uses the Pharisee to do a lot of the writing in the New Testament and, and a lot of work for His, his, his church today. So. Okay,
0: you're next. Thank you. Thank
1: you, Greg.